the mighty to the small, the glory in them all is God's and God's alone. God and God alone reveals the truth. Let's take our Bibles today. Turn over the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 10. We're still in our series in Ecclesiastes. There's a few more chapters to go, and all we're doing is taking basically the chapter, and we're looking at one, one basic aspect in that chapter. We're not sharing the, you know, the whole chapter. We're basically focusing on a verse or two along the way. And uh, so I want to take... Ecclesiastes chapter 10, we'll summarize it very briefly, and then I want to focus really on verse 1 of the chapter. And so let's go ahead and uh, take Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and uh, for the time being, I just want to really just read verse 1, and then we're going to go ahead and I'm going to share a little bit about that, and um, uh, we'll see, see what the Lord does for us along the way, okay? So Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We could take the time to read the whole chapter. I don't think it's absolutely necessary at this point. So let's just read verse 1. I'll read aloud. You read silently. It says, Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. In Ecclesiastes, of course, we have noted that Solomon has been seeking 
He's been searching. He's been looking for fulfillment and satisfaction in his life. And he's been doing that really without God. He's uh, already concluded some things. He's come to the place where he recognizes and he understands that, well, pleasure, prosperity, power, prestige, philosophy, and even religion cannot, nor will they ever, really satisfy in and of themselves. And over the last uh, few chapters, he's turned to morality and he sought morality out in a sense uh, uh, as to fulfill his longing in his soul, to somehow meet that need in his life. And yet, he's going to find, like he has every other time, it just doesn't get the job done. Uh, now again, um, <clears throat> he sought satisfaction in every area of life. Yet each and every time he comes up empty and wanting. And in this chapter, he's going to share some other ideas. He's going to seek some other truths. Means by which to satisfy. And again, remember, we're dealing with a man and we're looking at it from the perspective of a man. If we remove God out of the equation, the things of this world do not satisfy. And unfortunately, even as believers, we have been prone, it seems, in this culture and this world we live in to somehow adopt the philosophy and idea that things will satisfy, that stuff gets it done. And it doesn't get it done. Solomon had everything at his disposal, anything that he ever wanted, and yet it never satisfied, it never fulfilled. It was all vanity to him. And in this chapter, he recognizes the fact that there are some injustices in government. And he recognizes that those in authority aren't always upright and upstanding citizens. But he warns us in this chapter to be very careful how we approach and attack such instances. He shares the dangers of being hasty at making accusation or being rash in our behavior toward rulers and those in charge. In verse 10, he says, he goes on to say, if the iron be blunt and he do not wet the edge, then must he put to more strength, but wisdom is profitable to direct. And again, in verse 10, he warns us to use the proper tools, but to also ensure that they're properly sharpened. And many times in the face of injustice, if we're not careful, we kind of go, we kind of run headlong into the battle. We, don't, we rarely, uh, we may not even prepare the weapon. We may not do the research necessary and needful to get the job done right. We've been wrong. We feel like there's been an injustice to us. And if we're not careful, we are quick to make accusation. We're quick to jump, if you will. And, you know, when it comes to City Hall and confronting the king, so to speak, we need to be sure that we've done our homework ahead of time. We need to be careful that we do not fail, and even more serious, that we don't approach, appear to be foolish in the eyes of those that we sought, in a sense, to subdue. Because, listen, we represent the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to be careful. Just because we think someone's wronged us, especially if there's somebody in authority, be careful how you address that and deal with it because it's his reputation on the line. And so you want to be prepared. Not only do we want to, to do the research, but we want to make sure, we, we to make sure that we're sharpened. That tool is sharpened. And uh, boy, if you use a dull axe on a tree or uh, something, it's going to take you forever to get through that thing. You take the time to sharpen the axe and boy, it makes work so much easier. I don't know about you, but I've used chainsaws through the years and chainsaws with dull uh, uh, chains on them. Boy, I'll tell you what, that's a nightmare. Have you ever been using a chainsaw and you felt like you had to help it? I, I mean, I have. I felt like I had to use it like a saw at one point, you know, and, and you shouldn't have to do that with a chainsaw. Man, a chainsaw, you drop it on there, you let it slide into place, it just cuts right through. 
It's like cutting butter with a hot knife. But you get a dull chain, you got a problem. And may I say that Solomon's sharing with us the fact that we better sharpen the tools that we're going to use if we're going to go to war, so to speak, with those we feel have somehow slighted us, especially if it's somebody in government, if it's somebody in authority. He also goes on in verse 20 and he says, listen, don't curse the king. He says right there in verse 20, curse not the king, no, not in thy thought. Don't, you, know, you better be careful even how you think about it. You better be careful. He goes on to say, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. You ever heard that say, saying all the time? You've heard it possibly, you know, uh, a little birdie told me. You got that from the Bible. A little birdie told me. You better be careful what you say in secret. Be careful how you, how you speak about the king, so to speak, about those in authority. Be cautious how you, you speak about leadership. Even if that leader hasn't, hasn't so-called, so-called earned your respect, be very careful. There's a statement or there's a phrase that says, you can't, you can't drag someone into the muck without getting dirty yourself. Be careful. So many truths are presented in this particular chapter, chapter 10 of the book of Ecclesiastes. And we could probably spend all night just in one and each and every one. But I do want to focus our attention tonight on verse 1. And in verse 1, the Bible says, Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Again, the apothecary here, he is one that's going to mix these ointments together. He's going to mix some some precious uh, uh, ointment with particular drugs and things that will ultimately come together to make this oil have a, an appealing fragrance. Uh, he's basically a pharmacist who prepares drugs for medical use, if you will, for the most case, for, in the most part. And again, uh, it, it's uh, these oils, these oils that the apothecary might put together, they're for different purposes and they're used for different purposes. Maybe the oil here in, in, in one case is used for uh, uh, priests and kings when they're being anointed when they're being placed into their office. Maybe guests at a table of particular, a particular rich person, it, they might be used and, and, and they're treated to these ointments as a luxury. Uh, they were, again, medicinal, medicinally used, sometimes as an, an outward application and so forth. Maybe uh, an ointment rubbed on a particular area of the body. If someone's sick or something, they ate it and them getting better or well. Corpses and clothes would often be uh, sprinkled with uh, these ointments or these uh, uh, different uh, oils. Uh, after they'd been wrapped and prepared even, uh, they would be sprinkled for burial. All kind of different things that the, the ointment would be used, the, that the apothecary put together. In this case, we're going to see that great care had been taken to prepare these particular uh, oils. And uh, the material used was, was treated with great care as well. And uh, why wouldn't they be? They have special purposes, and they were important. But as elaborately as prepared as they may have been, in this case, they're just as easily spoiled and rendered worthless. Saying as much effort as this apothecary puts into creating this ointment, this ointment that will be used for medicinal purposes, possibly to anoint the king, maybe to anoint some burial clothing or whatever it might be, all this, this oil, this wonderful fragrance that comes forth from this oil, much, much painstaking effort is put into creating this particular oils, and yet the fact is, is that they can be easily corrupted, easily corrupted. 
It was necessary, like we said, to go to great lengths to make it. But it's also very important that we go to great lengths to preserve it from contamination. As Solomon writes, there's a a bottle or a vase that's been either accidentally or carelessly left open. As a result, the content is ruined. Something as little, something as insignificant as a dead fly would ultimately corrupt the ointment and ruin its odor. And so because of this, there's an application that's made. That no matter how noble, no matter how attractive one's character may be, it can be corrupted and destroyed by just a little bit of folly. Just a little bit. Again, an insignificant looking fault, an insignificant looking weakness may overshadow and even outweigh great gifts. And you know, the interesting thing is that the source of this particular corruption could be a number of things. You know, we think about a little fly and it seems rather insignificant. It seems like not a whole lot, but when it's left there to ferment in that oil, it will ultimately wreck and ruin that oil. And so it doesn't have to be something major in your life. It doesn't have to be something major in my life. It can be something that seems rather small, rather insignificant, rather minute, that ultimately will create in us or cause us to be corrupted. I think about laziness. It doesn't seem like a big deal. People say, well, I'm just not a morning person. I just have a hard time getting up. I don't know about you, but I go out visiting on Saturdays, and when I make visits on Saturday, it's amazing to me that if I don't get to some house maybe by 10, 30, 11 o'clock, I'm always amazed at 10, 30, or 11 o'clock, I'm waking someone up. I don't know about you, but that just doesn't seem right to me. Now, you may say, well, yeah, but that's because you're old, and old people get up early, and you know, that's just how old people are. Yeah, but I'm telling you, how is it that you have children in the home, and you can get up at 10, 30 in the morning? I mean, come on. That's crazy. Kids aren't even in school. Well, the kids are up till 3 in the morning playing Fortnite or playing some stupid video game. Yeah, but why in the world are we being so... Listen, if you were up, maybe you could get your kids up. And I guarantee if your kids got up, they would learn to go to bed earlier. It's an amazing thing that we'll step half the night and then fall asleep. And we'll say, I can't get to bed at night. I can't go to bed early. I remember a young man that I worked with personally who struggled to get to bed at night. He said, I can't go to bed early. I'm not a morning person. And it wasn't long, about a month later, he said, you know what, it's interesting enough. If you work hard enough during the day and long enough during the day and you have to get up early, you find it's easier to go to bed at night. Laziness. How many times has laziness marred or corrupted the character of a person? How about selfishness? Or love of ease? Maybe procrastination? Yeah, I I could spend a long time at that spot probably. Right? Couldn't I? Don't we all like to put things off that we probably ought to do right now? Indecision. Rudeness. 
irritability. In and of themselves, we think, well, that's, I guess it's not a big deal, but I mean, you can, I mean, you just got to understand, preacher, I mean, I, I, I sometimes just, if I don't get the rest I need, or if I'm having a bad day, sometimes I got the kick the dog syndrome, I get, you know, that's just life. I know, but how, a, a little dead fly in this ointment corrupted it. What's it going to take to corrupt your character? What's it going to take that ultimately is going to rub off on your character and people are going to begin to identify you as that person, not the one that you should be? How about oversensitiveness, to be oversensitive to praise or possibly to blame even? It's a funny thing. I'm always amazed. You know, you walk into a room and and there's three young people there and you say, hey, uh, uh, what, what happened to that chair? I don't know. I didn't do it. Hey, where, where, where's that, where, where's that uh, baseball bat that was laying there? I didn't touch it. I didn't ask that question. I said, where is it? Isn't it funny how oversensitive we are to things? We assume people are criticizing us. We assume people are thinking things about us. Is, is, what's wrong with us that we think those things? What Vanity. What's wrong with us? I, I mean, come on. You, I, just, I just don't know if this matches, and it's driving me crazy all day today. What? You know, I'm not, listen, you know, if, you, if you're not good at laying out your clothes, then have somebody do it that can see. You know what I mean? I am partially colorblind. And I don't see colors well. So guess what? I, I am very gracious. I'm very thankful when my wife lays my clothes out and says, and I say, well, I like that tie. And she goes, it doesn't match. But I sure like it. I, but I can't see it. And if I do, I don't see it quite right. But vanity. I mean, come on now. I want to look right. But on the other hand, somebody, I, I said to my, my, sister, my daughter-in-law the other day, I said, you know, you know what? I really thought a lot about it because we were talking about Tom Cruise, you know. They used to say I looked like Tom Cruise when I was young. I know you guys don't believe it, but they did. I, I know, I'm not joking. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I went into a video store when I was in my early 20s, and some guy just freaked out. And he's like, I'll be right back. And he went to the back, he got his wife and kids and came out and said, you got to see, I think it's Tom Cruise. And I went, what? And so I said, you know what? I just want to get one of them wigs. A dark colored hair, you know? Put some dark hair on me and see if I look younger, you know? See if I still got it. But, but I chose not to. I'm really not that vain. <laughs> Some of you think I am, but, but the vanity, right? I mean, come on, we're crazy sometimes. We go, we go lose it. Somebody said to me, you want to, you, you, you know, my wife says, yeah, well, yeah. oh, no. Somebody said to me, do you want to get... Um, uh, one of them, you know, get, grow hair back, right? You know, you need, just need to get some of that topical cream and all this stuff. I said, listen, dude, I'm not spending 30 or 50 bucks a month so that I can grow hair if my wife honestly doesn't care. If she's okay with how this thing looks, then that's okay with me. Amen. Boastfulness or talkativeness. 
You ever ran into somebody and you're, you know, it's, it's not like it's a sin, mind you, okay? But, but you just seems like all they do is they do all the talking. Everywhere, you know, you just walk into a room and you say, hey, how's everybody doing? And boom, they start and everybody else around you goes, because they know it's on, it's on for the next 20, 30 minutes. I mean, until somebody breaks up the whole ordeal, they're going to keep talking. Talkativeness. Love of gossip. That, that's called the nursery. Did I just say that? It better not be our nursery. And if it is, you better stop gossiping. It's quiet. But anyway, <clears throat> love of gossip. That's the only reason why men aren't considered gossips, because they're not in a position to gossip so much. If they were in the nursery, they'd be gossiping too, right, ladies? Okay, maybe not. Okay, we don't gossip around here, right? Nobody gossips. Moving on. Undue laxidity. You know, how about uh, severity? We're just over severe with things. How about one of self-control over appetites and passions? How about a word they call obstinacy? That, that just simply means that we're not very easily persuaded. We're not going to move from a position because somebody has some facts. <laughs> Don't wreck my philosophy by your facts. Now, all I'm saying is, these are some of the things that, that can outweigh the wisdom and, and the honor that we, we would have at our disposal. I mean, listen, we, you may have some tremendous character traits. You may be, uh, have some tremendous uh, um, um, attributes in your life. But certain little things like this, little things can wreck and ruin. It can ultimately overshadow and even outweigh those areas of, of, of character in your life. Now, if you take all of these, these what we would call follies here or, or little things, if you add them up, they come into two basic classes. First of all, faults of weakness and then faults of strength. There's faults of weakness and faults of strength. When I think of faults of weakness, uh, I think largely negative things. You know, we touched on them already, but one of self-control, love of ease, laziness, procrastination, indecision, selfishness, heartlessness. I mean, those are the kind of things that are faults of weakness. We're not strong enough to withstand. We're not strong enough to overcome. And these faults can promote bad behavior in our life. They can often lead to misconduct or to mischief in our lives. These faults, when they're found in a person, can cause other people to view us with contempt. Think about one of self-control over appetites and passions. Well, that's exactly what led David into the sin with Bathsheba. And although he repented, no doubt about it, the consequences were terrible. We think of love of ease. And when we look at that, we think... Really, when it's all said and done, that's kind of the, 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 the only real fault that's implied when you think about the rich man in Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, verse 19, the Bible says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. The impression or the implication is that, that he had love of ease. He enjoyed that easy life. I mean, he walks out and he sees Lazarus and it's kind of like, yeah, whatever. I mean, I've got the life. And that life of ease can be something that can ultimately corrupt us, wreck us, and ruin us.
I think about the rich young ruler. And, you know, he comes running to Jesus Christ. And he says, good master, he says, he said, what shall I do to inter- inherit eternal life? And he lets us know that from his youth up, he had kept the commandments. So, I mean, this was a good young man. This was an outstanding citizen, I'm sure, and an upstanding citizen. He was a good person, if you will. But his love of the world made him unwilling to practice the self-denial needed to make him perfect, so to speak. He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions, the Bible says. I think about Eli. And Eli had, I guess, an element, I guess a sin of weakness and and indecisiveness. Think of Eli. Here's a man who has a couple of children. And I mean, Eli, he, he had a number of wonderful qualities in his life. If you think about Eli, the priest, you say, man, now there's a guy with some character. There's a guy who, who had some good qualities of both mind and spirit. I mean, he was gentle, unselfish. He, he lacked envy. He, he was not jealous in any way to, our, to what we can tell or what we can read in the scriptures. He, he was devout. He was humble. Yeah, he was all of those things. And they're all great qualities. But he was also wavering. He was also weak. He was also powerless to some degree. I mean, he may have had good intentions, but his lack of will, the lack of will in his life, ultimately showed its ugly face in his parenting. Again, he may have loved his children, but his, the, the, this particular fault of weakness led him to exercise no restraint over his children. And the consequences was that when they grew up, their conduct was, I mean, it was horrible. Matter of fact, it was scandalous. I mean, his sons were terrible priests. And you know, the sad part was, is that his good qualities couldn't preserve his memory because of the contempt that his weaknesses brought. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. There are faults of weakness They don't have to be these major things. They don't have to be something so large that that it's like, wow, what a major vice in their life. And sometimes as believers, we're quick to say, you know what, I'm not that bad, though. I don't do too many real bad things. I mean, as a whole, I mean, I have my little quirks, and I've got my little areas, and everybody has their sin, and that's just the way it is. The only problem is, is that that stinking dead fly wrecked and ruined that ointment. It wasn't like a boulder fell and broke the vase. It wasn't like somebody added some kind of nitroglycerin to it and tried to explode it. No, it wasn't anything like that. It was simply a fly that landed in the ointment and there it fermented and ultimately caused that ointment to lose its savor. And may I say in your Christian life, if you're not careful, you're going to allow something very tiny and minute into your life. And it's not going to be the big thing. It's not going to be the grand thing. It's going to be that thing that seems to be rather insignificant. And ultimately it'll take root in your life and it'll start to ferment in your life and it'll cause you to be corrupted. Faults of weakness. But then there are faults of strength. And these are what I would call positive in nature. I mean, these faults consist largely uh, largely in an abuse of qualities which really could be considered virtuous or good virtues. I mean, again, they're not open vices. They're not known as a whole to corrupt men or women. But 
Instead, they're, they're, again, insignificant. They're unexpected sources of danger, if you will. You wouldn't think that this good quality could be a bad thing. See, the most admirable thing about you and your character, your greatest strength could become your greatest weakness. And I find that to be the case in men, all of our lives. Our greatest strengths seem to ultimately be our greatest weaknesses if we're not careful. But we've got to be careful with these faults of strength. They can become our downfall. When we overemphasize this, when we make it too much of it, it can sometimes be a problem. For instance, firmness. Well, it's a good thing to be firm in your resolve, but it could ultimately turn into stubbornness. Well, that's not good. I'm firm and I'm fixed. Yeah, but if you're stubborn, that's not good. Maybe you're frugal. I know a little bit about that. But it can turn into stinginess. Maybe you're, you're, you, you experience a liberality in your life, but it can become extravagance. Maybe lightheartedness. And that's a great thing to have. I mean, it's a good quality to be lighthearted, to have things roll off your back. That's, that's good in many cases, but it can turn into a lack of seriousness. Candor. You're honest, you're sincere, you're straightforward. You're a glass house. You're transparent. You come out and you say what you mean, you mean what you say, that's a good thing, but it can turn into rudeness. Children are good at being very, uh, of, of expressing candor. But they can also come across as being very rude. The only difference is that we can excuse a child saying something that would be considered rude. Because we know they don't understand. They're just brutally honest about things. They just say it the way they see it. And we just assume, I'm talking about young children, not teenagers, but young children, have not understood the practice of of social interaction. And so they just say what they see. They see you, and if something stands out, say you got a patch over your eye, what's wrong with their eye, mommy? You know, I mean, they just boom. But when you become, you're a child of God now, and we're trying to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're trying to deal with brothers and sisters in Christ. That candor can turn into rudeness, and we could go on and on, faults of strength. Christ is our greatest example, isn't he? He's our greatest example of great strength in harmony. I mean, he was all man, Jesus was. You know, I, I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, and you can believe whatever you want, but I'm telling you, there is no way in the world that the, the, the uh, uh, pictures that we see of Jesus Christ, you know, the picture of him in a European-type look. I mean, he doesn't even look like a Jew in the pictures that we see him depicted in, in most cases. And if I'll be frank with you, with his long hair and his soft uh, 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 milky white skin, he looks feminine almost in some of those pictures. I'm going to tell you something. There was nothing feminine about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was all man. 
I'll tell you right now, if we had him up here and we were going to have an arm wrestling contest, I guarantee you there'd be few men in this room that could beat him, if anyone. I'm talking about in his flesh. I'm not talking about because he's God. I mean just in his flesh. He was a carpenter. He knew what it was to work hard. He was all man. And yet, he possessed a balance of grace and tenderness like no other. His tender compassion for the sinful did not lead to condone their faults or to lower the standard of holiness for their sake. You know how easy it is to do that? Maybe you've been there. I know I, know I find myself warring with that all the time. I have compassion and I want people to, to experience or feel the love that I have for them or the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a sense, if I'm not careful, I may almost imply, if I'm not careful, imply that what they're doing is okay, even though it's not. Jesus, he had the proper balance. He held his ground and he stuck to the standard and he maintained and, re- and continued in holiness, but he also extended tender compassion. His righteous indignation against sin, it did not show itself in impatience or irritability. Man, I mean to tell you, if there was anybody that understood that right is right and, and we've got to stand our ground and all of that, he, he experienced and he expressed righteous indignation, but I'll tell you right, he wasn't impatient, he wasn't irritable and all of that, and he met people every day that he could have been upset with. You know, we go to work, and if we're not careful, we're believers, and we know the difference. We know what right and wrong is. We've been trained and taught according to the Word of God, and we've embraced the truths of the Word of God. And the fact is, is that sometimes we look on the world, and we get disgusted, and we get upset with, and we become irritable, and we become cantankerous, and we become short with people in the world that know no better at all. And somehow we think we're justified in our attitude toward the world that doesn't follow the Word of God. May I tell you they don't need our irritability? They don't need our attitude. What they need is our compassion. They need our love. His tender tone was the keen edge of his reproofs. And Jesus reproved you. He did it with a sense of kindness almost. His unquestionable love mixed compassion into every warning that he gave. So what are a couple basic, fundamental, practical lessons that we can draw from our text tonight? Number one, all human excellence is exposed to risk. You know, it's just not enough to have attained to a certain measure of righteousness in your life. It's, it's not enough to arrive at a certain place and say, now I've, 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 I've obtained, I've gotten here. I am not what I used to be. God has blessed me and I have moved in this direction for some time. I've gone through discipleship. I've allowed myself to grow and to learn. I've continued in the word of God. I'm on my knees in prayer. And I've arrived at a place now where I'm far beyond where I was in the past. It's not enough to arrive there. The apothecary took great care to try to arrive at a place where that ointment and and that oil was of a wonderful fragrance, that it was medicinal, that it was going to fulfill the purpose that it was intended to. And it took him much time to get to that place. But may I say that wasn't enough. And 
And that leads us to number two. The danger often springs from insignificant and unsuspected sources. I've worked so hard in my life, we may say. I have strived to become what Christ would want me to be. I know that he's called me to be conformed to his image. I know that he wants me to be crucified daily. I understand that he wants me to walk in the spirit and not the flesh. And I've been striving and I feel I have arrived at this place. As we said, that's not enough. Because see, the fact is, is that the ointment, obviously, whether it was by accident or whether somehow it was neglect, it doesn't matter. It ultimately found a fly in the ointment. And that fly, however insignificant it may be in and of itself, it wrecked, it ruined, it destroyed the fragrance. And it destroyed the oil. How important is it that you and I Realize that no matter how far we've come for Jesus Christ, no matter how many strides we've taken, that it may be that simple thing, that insignificant thing, that ultimately takes root in our life and ultimately leads to destruction. Again, it's not necessarily something so blatant or obvious That's going to corrupt you. You may not pick up a beer or a bottle of wine tonight. But we may allow some thought into our mind that doesn't belong there. You may not go out and get on the computer and look at pornography, but you may allow yourself to Permit your eyes to wander at the mall. I'm just saying that it's not probably going to be the big thing. It's going to be the fly in the ointment. It's going to be that stinking dead fly. That's what's going to grab hold of your heart. That's what's going to ultimately take root in our lives. That's how the devil's going to trick us. That's how he's going to deceive us. So we must take great care to ensure that we don't allow the flies of this world, so to speak, those insignificant little things into our lives. Because those little things turn to bigger things. How many times have you heard someone say, I will never let that happen. I would never drink alcohol. I would never smoke. I would never take drugs. I would never have relationships before I'm married. I would never. And somehow, in maybe just a few short years, one or all of those things are part of their life. You know, nevers become part of their life. How does that happen? That didn't happen overnight. That didn't happen just one afternoon where they made a decision. You know what? I'm just going to go out and get drunk tonight. No, it was something insignificant. It was probably they saw something on a television show that somehow got a hold of their heart or possibly they found a new friend that seemed to be a little bit less 
strict in their standard in that area or they found themselves in a relationship with a particular opposite sex that was willing to go a little further than they should and they saw themselves compromising in an area of their life now that they would have never compromised before. It wasn't the big thing. It was the little thing that led to the next thing. It was that stinking dead fly. You have a sweet marriage or you have a good marriage, there's no guarantee it'll be that way in a year. You're probably not going to go to the office and do something horrible tomorrow, but let me tell you something, you can let little things into your life that can ultimately corrupt. What about that relationship with Christ again? You've gone to great lengths maybe to get to where you are, but let me tell you, you can't just maintain that. You've got to always be going forward for him. That pure life, the pure mind, that, that discipline that you now possess possibly in your Christian life, you let down your guard. And a little fly wanders in on the breeze, drops down into your life, and at one point, it doesn't seem to be affecting you. It's still sweet, the fragrance is. The little fly's there, but ultimately it begins to do its corrupting work as it begins to ferment in your life. Before it's over with, the ointment is corrupted and it stinks. And now your Christian life stinks. And the world can see the stink and smell the stink. All because... Of a stinking dead fly. It may be a fault or a sin of weakness or possibly a sin of strength. But you know, we need to be balanced. We need to keep it simple. Don't overlook the minute, the minute, if I, if I could say it. Don't overlook the so called insignificant. Don't allow yourself, if you are, are given any indication of the Spirit of God that something that you're looking at, something that you're doing, something that you're saying, something that you're listening to or watching, if there's even the inkling of the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, you get rid of it now. Don't allow that fly to land in that ointment and take root in your life. Don't allow it to ultimately ferment in your Christian life and ultimately corrupt you and wreck and ruin you. We have some wonderful teenagers here. We really do. I worry. We had, what, six young people graduate from high school this year from out of our teen group. I worry about them. Especially the ones that are leaving for college. I worry that won't be under the preaching and under the teaching of this ministry anymore. I worry about them going on to campuses. I worry about them ultimately allowing someone, some little fly to fall into the ointment. And pretty soon, before we know it, they say, well, you know, it wouldn't hurt to just go to a party. I don't have to drink. And those people, they're good people. My friends are nice people. Okay, they, I'm, they're not Christians like I'm a Christian maybe. Or maybe they're no Christian at all. But, but again, it's not going to hurt me just to go to the parties. I'm a little worried that they're going to end up at the parties before it's over with because the fly is going to start to corrupt the ointment. Pretty soon they're going to be drinking the alcohol. And pretty soon, if they're not careful, they'll become a statistic. I worry about our young people like that. You know why I do that? Because I know me. I know me. 
Oh, there's been flies that have landed in my ointment. Sadly enough, I've not always dealt with them the way I should have either. And I'm going to be honest with you. If you're not careful, they'll wreck and ruin you. The only thing that will keep you in any way safe is the grace of God in your life. And I'm going to tell you something. You better deal without fly. The moment the Holy Spirit of God brings conviction in your life, you better address that issue and deal with it. Because if you don't, my friend, you're going to go much further than you ever dreamed. Because that stinking dead fly will wreck and it will ruin your life. This is no game we play. It's no game. You just take a walk around the auditorium sometime and talk to some of these couples and families and you ask them about how sin can wreck and ruin their lives. We sit here and we think because we've grown up maybe in a Christian home where we've been protected and we've been uh, brought up in a way where we think we've been too sheltered. We somehow feel that we've not been given the opportunity to express ourselves and expand our wings. We're going to go out there and we're going to open our heart up to things we should never open them up to. You're going to find you're going to come home with your tail between your legs. And if you don't, the only reason you won't is because of your pride. And you'll stay out in the world and you'll let it continue to just consume you until you get rid of that pride. I say don't go there at all. I say avoid that. The moment that fly comes swirling around in your life, don't allow it to land in the ointment. Get on old big old spiritual fly swatter and smack it and smash it and kill it. Keep things pure in your life. I worry about our couples in our church. I worry about the families in our church. The world is not something that's going to make you stronger as a couple. The world is never going to make you stronger as a family. I know I'm being kind of transparent here and open about some things that not so much transparent, but I'm just being, let me tell you something. You better be careful what you and your wife watch together. You better be careful what you allow your children to watch. You better be careful about what you listen to. You better be very careful who you allow to influence your life. I, I, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm, all, I'm, I'm the pastor. I ought to be concerned, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a keeper of your souls. I, I'm concerned. The implication is that this one fly is flying around and it lands in the ointment. But you and I both know in the world we live in, we're swatting at flies every time we turn around, they're everywhere. It only takes one little fly to land in the ointment in order, and ultimately it will corrupt it. And what was so sweet, what was so wonderful, so valuable, so useful, will stink. I don't want to get there, and I don't think you want to either. May we learn from Ecclesiastes chapter 10. May we never forget about those stinking dead flies. Guard yourself from those stinking dead flies.
A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. May God help us to stay pure and not allow those dead flies in. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Father, we come to you. We need you tonight. Speak to our hearts through the word of God. Thank you for the simplicity of your word and for just the simple truths of it. May we, Father, be very careful. I do pray for our graduating seniors, especially if they're going away to school.